Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you today, you can find Matthew chapter 19. Don't worry if you didn't. The words will come up momentarily as we continue in our series, Issues and Inspiration. And uh, this uh, second installment of understanding and ministering to the LGBTQ uh, community. So Matthew chapter 19 and beginning in verse 3. The Pharisees came to Jesus and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of man with his wife, it's better not to marry. As my wife and I made our way back into uh, the country a few weeks ago, we got in three hours early before our connecting flight to Des Moines. Plenty of time. Uh, there were about 2,000 people, we estimated, or guesstimated, in line in Chicago, uh, but with three hours, plenty of time. But there were only about five or six officers that were managing us with like 25 booths. And an hour went by. Two hours went by. We'd gotten about halfway through the line by then. And uh, frustration started to settle in. You could hear some muttering and a little murmuring. There was some talking going on. Lots of frustration amongst these 2,000 people. But I also noticed something else. Nobody broke ranks. Nobody started yelling. Nobody rushed the counters. There was a ton of civility. I'm sure there are a few crazy people in that group. Oh, yeah, we missed our connection. I told my wife, you know, man, for all of his faults, brokenness, and sin, can be pretty cool in some uncool situations. Last week, we use the analogy that we are all broken rainbows, and we use the analogy of the oil slick and the little girl who saw the oil slick in the sun and said, Daddy, somebody broke the rainbow, remember? But even broken rainbows have a beauty in and of themselves, don't they? One of the joys that I have personally had over the last uh, couple of months spending a considerable amount of time with those with same-sex attraction and those who have actually been committed to uh, a gay lifestyle is, is, the, is observing what theologians call the Imago Dei. 
Uh, that is, uh, the, that, that's a Latin phrase which means to be made in the image of God. Every one of us born into this world have been created, made, if you please, in the image of God. And the Imago Dei basically says that God's own self-actualization is seen in others. And you see it, right? You see it uh, in all kinds of, you see it in acts of kindness, You see it in neighborliness, in airport custom lines, and yes, even with those in the same-sex community, LGBT community, both men and women. James put it like this. He says, with our mouths, we bless God, and with our mouths, we curse men who were made in the likeness of God. So now you have the imago Deo connected with another theological truth, that is, The depravity of man. All of us are sinners, right? I want to share with you as we get going this morning five things that I've learned over the last couple of months. First, I've learned to resist groupthink and stereotypical thinking in regards to the same-sex community family. I was full of presumption and assumptions, and so are many of you, and you are wrongly thinking In several areas, I can guarantee you. I learned that the same-sex community love to love. Actually, they just love love. That is, they universally adore loving someone and being loved by someone. You say, well, isn't that normal? Yes. But I asked one of my friends recently, what could the church have done better? And his response was, there is no better tool than love. And he went on. If the church had lovingly reached out to me in my youth, it might have changed my life. Implication, it didn't. Thirdly, the perception, the false perception that the culture of the same-sex community is entirely sex-driven. That's a false perception. It may be true with many, but you know the media loves to caricature everything, right? Including you and me. We get caricatured, don't we? Do we appreciate it? Do you appreciate it when the media caricatures you and, 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 and lists you as a bigot? It's the same for them. When One individual said, it's just one part of my life. Another guy says, it's not like I'm hitting gay bars all the time. I mean, I'm in bed by 9 o'clock. Fourthly, the same-sex attracted community are approachable. And they're not ignorant. You think we need to be taught things we already know, said one individual to me. That hurt. We're not ignorant. And lastly... This community desires and would appreciate being heard, that we would listen, that we would feel their hurt, their struggle, their rejection, their alienation, their sense of being belittled. And with their permission, one of my friends said this to me. I was so struck by the comment. I wrote it down. I give it to you. 
A struggle is just a struggle without a face. You can sweep it under the rug, but put a face on the struggle and you have to deal with it, with him, with her. You can't sweep a person under a rug. And this was their way of saying thank you for the face-to-face meetings. Now, I need to briefly develop the idea that we are all broken rainbows, which I said repeatedly last week. One of the greatest problems both in the church and certainly outside of the church is just ignorance, theologically, biblical ignorance, not knowing our Bibles and what God says about man, what God says about me, what God says about you, what God says about sin, what God says about the busted rainbow. All of us were broken from the start. Atheistic humanism, which is the religion of all public education, teaches the opposite. It teaches that we're basically all good. It's our environment, our upbringing, our traumatic experiences, think Ellen DeGeneres and others, that have shaped us, not our broken, sinful nature. Now, it is not to say that those experiences don't exacerbate the problem. They certainly do. And I have spent ample amount of time with those who have been abused in their youth, who had a dominating mother, and all the stereotypical things that aid and abet such a lifestyle. But at the end of the day, it's simply not true that those are the reasons that we go this direction or not. It is our sinful nature. Let me give you exhibit A. Now, who taught her how to pout and scream and kick and bite and resist and rebel when she's real little? You say, well, it's it's those books we read, like uh, How to Have a Bratty Child and How to Get the Most Out of Your Child's Tantrum. That's silly, isn't it? Now, we know that these things, human nature tells us these things happen naturally. Again and again and again, we need to know what Romans 5.12, and we ought to memorize, meditate, and really metabolize Romans 5.12, which says, by one man, Adam, sin came into the world, and death through sin, so death passed, infiltrated, infused all men, because all people, because all people sinned in Adam, our head. If the rainbow is broken from the start, then what? Then what? I want to show you something I alluded to several weeks ago in another series, another message, is is I want you to see my new Charles Haddon Spurgeon bobblehead. Many of you remember that a friend of mine gave me a bust of Spurgeon several years ago, and a friend of mine said, too bad he's not a bobblehead. You can get him to agree with you all the time. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Somebody overheard that in this church, bless their heart, and they bought me a bobblehead. I couldn't, I was so excited when I got it. I really was when it came in the mail. Uh, it, it had good packaging, had the styrofoam bubble wrap, but there was no bobble in his head. His head wouldn't bobble. I had to send him back. Was it a manufacturing issue? A transportation issue? 
Something, something happened in the process of my, well, he bobbles now because I got a new one. Something happened in the process, in the manufacturing or transportation process that brought about a malfunction. Now, I shared with you one of my friends said this, why would God create people like me if he loves, loves me so much? And it's wrong. It's a great question. I told you last week not to get uh, snobby and uh, snappy and flippant with your response. But might I suggest that something malfunctioned during the manufacturing process? By the way, that happened to me, too, and it happened to you, too. I know, because I've talked to several of you. It's happened to all of us, right? Now, my, my Spurgeon bobblehead could have come with, a, with chip pain or a broken arm or a, or a faulty basis, uh, you know. In this case, he just his head didn't bobble. The point is that because of our inherent sinfulness, we're all broken. It, what does broken mean? I don't know. You tell me. Where are your sinful proclivities? Every one of us have them. Right? In some cases, the brokenness produces pure evil. Like in El Paso, and then just last night in Dayton, Ohio. It reminds us that in juxtaposition, you have the imago Dei and the depravity of man welded together in one, and ugly can take place, right? Now, to review, we said last week in our message, which was to everyone and then focused on the LGBTQ community, we said, God does not condemn your struggle, neither will Sailorville Church. We said, God does not condemn your questions, and your doubts, and neither will we, the church. We said that God will not condemn you if you are conflicted. And again, neither will the church. We said that God will not condemn and does not condemn your desire for love and for sexual fulfillment. And again, neither will the church. We did say that God does condemn the practice of immoral sex, whether heterosexual or homosexual. It's all sin to God. And that gate will remain up. God has created all of us with a thirst for purpose and for eternity. He has set, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, he has set eternity in our hearts. Have you ever read that? And so I know that everyone here knows that there is something beyond the here and now. But many of you have been seeking imitation quenchers. They won't satisfy. They can't satisfy. Only Jesus can do that. Now, in his famous encounter with these Pharisees, he's had many famous ones, the subject here was divorce. They're trying to trip him up. It's clear they're testing Jesus in their attempt to trip him up. Jesus lays out God's plan for marriage, and they then go back to the book of Deuteronomy. And say, well, you know, Moses commanded us, which he didn't. He commanded us uh, to do a, you know, to give them a certificate of divorce. Jesus said, that wasn't a command, that was a concession. And he said, the reason why it's a concession is because of the hardness of heart. I just want you to look at that for a moment. By the way, the, the Pharisees 
when they were talking about marriage, went back to Deuteronomy, which was maybe at least 3,000 years after Genesis 1. It'd be like, that'd be like, uh, and Jesus took them back to Genesis 1. He said, in the beginning, it wasn't so. It'd be like uh, picking up your favorite novel, your favorite book, and beginning in the middle, which makes no sense. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus takes them back to the beginning, says it wasn't so, and the reason for the concession was the hardness of your heart. Now, I've encountered many a hard-hearted individuals right up to the present hour, just the other day. But my personal experience with the same-sex attraction community is that they're not hard-hearted. In fact, they're very tender-hearted. Now, there are those who are belligerent. I know it, and I've encountered them as well. But the ones that I have encountered and spent about 10 hours of time with are just the opposite. Not always toward God, but, uh, but to others. They are also, now listen, they are also frustrated. Very frustrated. Frustrated by those who won't listen to them. They're frustrated by their own struggles for love and fulfillment. They're frustrated that God, that what God says about their desire puts their desires off limits. Now, Jesus' disciples are really frustrated here, too. Did you catch that at the very end? Jeez, if that's the case, you might as well not even marry. Remember that? Then Jesus does something deeply insightful and exalting. Now, listen carefully to this. The one who never married himself pointed them to a greater euphoria than sexual fulfillment could ever give Namely, maximum usefulness in the kingdom of God by becoming and living as the very bride of Jesus. He does so by talking about, are you ready for it? Wait for it. Eunuchs. Let me explain as you you look at the verse. A eunuch is a man who has been rendered, and Jesus gives us three renderings here, incapable of reproducing himself. And he is also one who has been rendered without the desires for sexual fulfillment. And this is why you have eunuchs in the book of Daniel, Undoubtedly, eunuchs in the book of Esther. You have the Ethiopian eunuch serve the king. I mean, if you're a king and you have a harem of women, probably a pretty good idea to put a eunuch over him. No threat there. That's what a eunuch was. Look at the verse. Jesus said there are eunuchs who have been so from their birth. That's one, some birth defect. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. That's the violation, that's the castration, that's the mutilization that takes place and has for hundreds, even thousands of years to the present hour, actually. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this do so. Settle in on that for just a moment. Three kinds of eunuchs, born, made, 
and then those who choose. Now, he's talking metaphorically on the choose because the Jewish Bible had a prohibition against cutting oneself, so he's talking about one who chooses themselves volitionally in the, in the desire to serve the kingdom of God, the greater cause, to remain unmarried. Amazing. Jesus goes to not, when they ask the question, he doesn't go, he doesn't answer by, by telling them how to exit a bad marriage, but rather how to embrace the ultimate marriage to him. Paul agrees. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says this. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself. Not married. But each has his own gift from God. One of one kind, another of another. What Paul says is a gift for some, Jesus calls a choice for others. You might want to write that one down. What Paul calls a gift for some, Jesus calls a choice for others. Now, my dear LGBTQ friend, my dear lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning or queer friend, regardless of your sexual struggle, conflicted or committed, there is a choice our Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul, two celibate men, lay before you. It is a greater cause, a deeper love, and presents a richer reward. Marry yourself to the greater eunuch. That might be the first time Jesus has ever been called a eunuch. But he is the greater eunuch who by choice remains single. And by design. Without question, some of you will be transformed if you do that by embracing him by faith. Some of you will be transformed even in your physical desires, but most of you won't. And those who can't marry must carry their burden. But it will not be alone. You will not carry it alone. You have your ultimate example, the celibate one, the greater eunuch, Jesus himself. You have his word. You have his example. You have his church. All here to bear the burden with you in love. One friend I asked, I asked him, how, how goes your struggle? He said, I'm doing well, though it's still there every day. The closer I get with God, the less I struggle with the temptation. And I can, I can still appreciate the struggle because I'm so much stronger as a result. I love that. Hallelujah. I'm going to make our way to the Lord's table this morning. As I, as I do so, last week, a message to all, and particularly to the LGBTQ community. This week, a message to all and now particularly to you who are Christ followers who embrace the Bible and the gospel. First, the gospel is what changes hearts, not great moral stands or standards. Remember the old line, those of you who have been around for 100 years, I think it was Jerry Falwell who famously said it about 30 years ago, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Ha, 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 ha. And we thought that was funny, and that echoed across thousands of pulpits. And all that did was drive a deeper wedge into the 
valley and the chasm between the LGBTQ community and, and the church. The gospel is what changes hearts, not great moral standards. Uh, Taylor Swift just came out of a song. I, I, don't, I almost hesitate to tell you. It's called Calm Down. And if you, watch, if you watch it, you might think one thing, but if you listen to it, it's very catchy. And it's a song to all the bigots out there. And they're carrying signs like, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. In order to sort of emphasize the bigotry within the church. Last week I sat, you know, uh, many of you were encouraging with, uh, me with this series, and I'm so grateful to that. But if you want to know my most encouraging word came was I walked by my granddaughter who said, Papa, can I talk to you about your sermon last week? Let me tell you something, when a granddaughter says that, you're sitting down. She said, it really helped me. And then she went on. She said, you know, I have, I have several lesbians in my class. I said, several? She said, oh, yes. And one of them is actually quite belligerent. And so what ensued was our conversation, that is the papa with his granddaughter, how to turn confrontations into conversations. J.D. Greer said this, grace without truth is sentimentalism. Truth without grace is fundamentalism. Got to have both, right? Grace and truth. Listen, if your abhorrence to someone's sin is greater than your love for someone's soul, there is something deeply wrong with you. Not them, you and me. Gay people won't go to hell because they practice homosexuality any more than I'm going to go to heaven because I practice heterosexuality. But we'll both go to hell if we don't repent and believe the gospel and marry ourselves to the greater eunuch. The entrance to the hearts of the LGBTQ community is genuine love. That's the second thing I want you to note. This is very personal for me as a pastor of this church because several months ago, we, had a, we did a module on apologetics. My son and I did it together. A number of you were in that. There were almost 200 people in that one class. Why do I say that? Because that was a lot of people. And we were talking about reaching individuals, and in the back of the class was a mother who raised her hand and outed herself publicly for the first time ever by disclosing to nearly 200 people that she was the mother of a daughter who was struggling with lesbianism. You could almost hear a pin drop in the moment as she bore her soul before the class. And we answered the question. She told me later, with her permission, I shared this with you, she, she actually was resistant because she doesn't, she's not whining, but she told me, she said, Pastor, after the class, not one person spoke to me. Not one. That broke my heart. If we can't show love and compassion to the parent of one struggling. How are we going to do it to the strugglers themselves? 
On the other hand, there was one young individual, young woman struggling with lesbianism that I spent some time with who, who named not one, not two, but three women in our church, and I approached all those women afterwards to thank them, who, she said, came to me and approached me in love. And that's, that's what we need. The gospel road into people's lives will be in mercy, Rosaria Butterfield said, and she's right. Thirdly, the timing of sharing truth with the LGBTQ community is as important as the truth itself. That would be good to remember. The timing of sharing truth with the LGBTQ community is as important as the truth itself. And it's true of Jesus even coming to this world. At just the right time, God sent forth his son, born under the law, born of a woman, right? Again, Rosaria Butterfield, whose testimony is famous, a former liberal lesbian, lived with another woman, uh, actually was going to make this older pastor her personal project an example to out the Christian church. He invited her into his home. He never shared the gospel with her, but all she saw was a heart and love for Jesus spilling all over her. And in time, he did. And in time, she trusted the greater eunuch. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 15, a word spoken at just the right time, how good it is. And those I'm spending time with won't care what I know if they're not convinced that I care for them. That takes time. And finally, finally, I would say to everyone here, whether you are heterosexual or homosexual, or somewhere in between, remember, Jesus was tempted too. Stare at this, will you please? We have one who, in every respect, we'll put the verse up for you, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have one who in every respect was tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Around here, teenagers are coming back from Lake Ann last week, and they were talking about the sermon that I preached last week. I'm telling you, that'll do something for a pastor's heart. Except several of them were saying, he's always asking, have you ever read that? <laughs> well, I won't say it this time. Here's what I'll say. Have you ever contemplated that? Put the verse back up. Have you ever contemplated that? I'm just going to let that sit. And may you, my dear friend struggling with same-sex attraction or committed to its lifestyle, come to know the one who, 
while successfully resisting sexual temptation, then did something beautiful. He took on yours. He took on mine and bore it in his own body on the tree. That is the love of God for you and for me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And you will be given a greater cause, a greater desire, a greater purpose in this life than your own self. If your own self is the sphere in which you operate, that's a very, very tiny sphere. You need a bigger orbit. You need the greater eunuch. And I commend you to him, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for your word and for this subject. It has been a heavy one on me. Forgive me for my own bigotry. Forgive me for my own judgmentalism. Forgive me for my presumptions and assumptions. And thank you for enlightening me through my friends who have struggled in these areas. And help us to love as Christ loved us. And I pray for our friends in that community who struggle. May they find the love of the greater eunuch as the ultimate fulfillment of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.